Hello and welcome to a year ending special on Tete Tete by Fresco Media. As always, I'm joined by a few very esteemed guests and some of whom have braced this podcast over the last 3 months. Um it's been a decent start to our life as Tete Tete, so it's great to bring all the guys on the on board uh, for the final hurrah of this year. Um joining me is Rick. How are you? I'm good man. Thanks for having me back on the podcast. And of course, the loyal member of this uh, podcast Sid. <laughs> What's up? How's it going? And our Indian football expert as I'll repeatedly call him Dibide Bhattacharya. How are you, Dibo? I'm good man. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, and um good way to finish off the year with a bit of a special episode. We're going to talk about certain moments that have captured the season and a year like no other really because uh there's been quite a lot that has changed the way that we look at football, how football has delivered and there are many stories that you wouldn't have even thought of at this time last year. So, um a great to have you guys with us. Before we start, I want you guys to tell me um is there something that you thought thought about at this point last year and something that never even came close to fruition? Um so this time last year I was hoping um like Arsenal as you must know were in a pretty tough spot at this point last year and the idea was I hoped um we would kind of be a little bit more stable than we are currently because currently we don't seem like the most like well put together team and I feel like my hope was that we'd be a little bit more compact a little bit more solid and stable consistent and that hasn't come to fruition at all uh same with arsenal regarding arsenal i think uh, i was pretty sure we wouldn't uh, repeat the mistakes of the past and you could see that we had kind of shifted to a european model of having a ceo ceo and a director of football who handle things and you know there'd be a coach rather than a manager who handles almost every other aspect of the departments in the club but then unfortunately we've come back to the model where Edu and Arteta are going to be handling everything revolving around the football side of the club and Raul Sanelli unfortunately had to leave the club under very cloudy circumstances and uh, again you can see the scattergun scattergun approach to recruitment and the leaks that have been going into the media regarding what's been happening at the football club and like you know it's fun and games and you know other fans are making fun of us as a banter club but we as arsenal fans i think it's becoming really disheartening to see what's happening with the club and i think a lot of it has to go down on stan kroenke and the way that he's managed this football club and his extreme lack of uh, regard for the club and the identity that we had as a club especially under arsene wenger and the way we conducted our- ourselves on and off the pitch So yeah I do hope that now there is hopefully some uh, semblance of uh, stability like Rick said that comes back to the club and moving forward we are in a better position hopefully at the end of 2021 and Debo yourself um, a big year for united after what was a very disappointing 2019 I think absolutely I think this time last year uh, united faced a big big dip in form uh, before uh, bruno came and I think uh, that was something that was uh, extremely disappointing for united fan because we had invested a lot in the summer the maguires and then but i think uh, everything that has happened since except for going back to the Euro- europa league again i think uh, ole has moved on uh, the deadwoods in the team he's brought in a few good players and i think uh, since then up till up until 2020 i think the joy has been uh, the ride has been uh, pretty pretty good for united yeah i think uh, ori is the deadwood <laughs> but anyway let's carry on <laughs> um <laughs> we started the banter that early <laughs> opening the can of worms i guess uh, i think we could go on for days talking about some of the things that 
have gone wrong this year but let's look at what's gone right and uh, particularly for which club it has gone right the most i mean there have been a lot of successful clubs this year uh, of course bayern munich won the champions league liverpool won the premier league uh, bayern defended their bundesliga title psg won the liga uh, real madrid had a very good lockdown period to clinch la liga and we even had um, juventus notching the ninth title in a row in syria which is insane to think about so um said what is One oh, second. Who? Let's not forget Arsenal won the FA Cup as well, no? Oh, and yeah, committee never, shield. Never forget. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can't forget. Small that. joys of life. <laughs> of course, titles are titles, according to Sid. So let's keep it at that. Um, Sid, who? What is your football club of the year? Which club do you think has been the best this year? And that the metric of performance is based upon your um, interpretation of what it is. So you know, before the pod, when you asked us this question, I was thinking maybe you know Leeds just because of the story. around the club and the fact that they've come and finally got promotion into the premier league again after almost 18 years um but then when you look at it from a very unbiased angle i think it has to go to bayern munich because they won the treble and as a club especially i think it's their ninth title in a row right now in the bundesliga um the way that they've handled themselves in terms of recruitment the aura that they have as a club the stability they have as a club and of course i think their recruitment has been excellent because they have an extremely good blend of youth and experience and uh, credit also needs to go to hansi flick for the way that he's come into his first managerial job and totally changed the situation of the club especially when he took over niko kovac who was unfortunately sacked but i think in hindsight it was wait, wait, a correct mean, decision unfortunately he he had to go Right? I mean, he I, was... I believe that you need to give time to a manager sometimes. Like, of course, like some United fans are going to come and tell me, "Look, you you keep saying that Ole is not good enough. Ole is not good enough." Listen, this has been two and a half years. But okay, Nico Kovac had a season where, of course, they did uh, finally win the title, and he did kind of try and implement his stamp on the squad where he told, okay, some of the experienced players like Jerome Boateng and uh, Thomas Muller that you know it may might be time for you guys to move on, and a new generation of players need to come in. And I do think that. that is good because all all teams need to kind of uh, have that uh, transitional phase in order to move on to a new generation of players that are going to But did he try but, but, he, but did he try that transitional phase a little early Yeah because don't you think mm. as soon as uh, Hansi Flick took over you kind of saw a new Muller that was exactly. absolutely yeah, dominating the his the Bundesliga and then the Champions League so essentially if Hansi Flick could get performances like that out of Bayern Munich You have to take that away from uh, Niko Kovac, right? You have to say that that's a kind of red flag because Hansi Flick did so much better as soon as he came into the club. But yeah, I, Rick, I do agree Rick, because you, you even you mentioned that Bayern is your team of the year, and I think what you said about Niko Kovac going out, I think that was a big change for them because Bayern were nowhere. Let, let's face it, right? They were they weren't even the top two, top three of Bundesliga when Niko Kovac but, was but fired. But it's it's, it's, it's not like. It's not like they weren't successful before. It's not like they've been going through a period of where they've not had success. It's just that the club. All, let's not forget. It's not like he took these decisions without informing the hierarchy, saying that you know this is what I have as a plan for the club going into the future, and you know we need to get in the young players that we have. They have an extremely good bunch of young players, and you know kind of set them up for the next uh, decade or so at Bayern Munich because we all know that they as uh, really believe in having a. kind of a dynasty at the club in sense that a lot of players need to be at the club like uh, a lot of their players almost play have been playing for the club for 10 plus years and they kind of see that with the youngsters going now of course nine said i'm wrong in the sense that i do agree hansi flick has done wonders but i just feel that what nico kovac was trying to do is not just results on the pitch he was trying to create a new kind of uh, not uh, not 
culture, I would say, but a new way forward for the team by by bringing in the youth into the team. And I do feel that, yeah, they did win the treble, so you can't argue against that. But I could see what Niko Kovac was trying to do, and I do think he'll do well at another managerial job. Mm, reminds me of Thomas Tuchel and why he's out of the PSG job. Um, <laughs> but what have you made of the teams this year? Who has impressed you the most? I think I've gone for Leeds and not just because of the story, because of the kind of football that they've played it in the championship. Oh, you've fallen for the Leeds bandwagon, haven't you? <laughs> no, it's not just the bandwagon because, uh, yeah, you could say probably, yeah, a lot other other championship teams have qualified with uh, more points uh, and with more goals. Yes, there are statistics to say that. But I think uh, it's a, it's a, the way that the Leeds have gone about their football is is different than any any other club in the Premier League or in the championship uh, championship. Uh, that they've played. It's a, it's a, it's a different way uh, that uh, a coach has come in and changed the culture of the club. Because uh, and and even after, I think after the first first year under Bielsa's, uh, when they couldn't qualify, they lost to Derby. Uh, I think they had to let go of a lot of players. They had to let go of uh, Pontus Janssen. They let go of uh, who who was that who went to who went to Anderlecht. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Uh, Anderlecht or it was... Uh... No, he went to Anderlecht. I'm pretty sure he went to Anderlecht. I forgot. It's a, uh, but anyway, I think... Uh, Kemar Roof was Kemar it. Kemar Roof, yes, correct. And uh, I think even with their, uh, with all the financial constraints they have, the way they uh, the way they obviously got the automatic promotion spot and they how they have performed in the Premier League also, uh, you can always accuse uh, Leeds to be uh, ignorant about their defence, to be very naive in their approach to the games. Uh, but... They bring they bring a different set of energy, and uh, it's something that's very refreshing to see. And I think they have been pretty successful considering the kind of squad they have. Uh, so I, that's why I think Leeds this year uh, has been the club of the club of the year for me. And um, just to give you guys my thoughts on the club of the year, I can't ignore AC Milan, who've had an unbelievable twenty twenty. It is crazy to think that maybe this time last year they were thinking of bringing in um, Ralph Ragnick as their long term replacement for the failures of managers who've come in and gone out. But to hire in Stefano Pioli and the kind of change that's been witnessed on um, at Milan is, is insane now. I mean, to be top of Syria heading into Christmas and to have the best record in the Syria by a country mile in this calendar year is testament to the amount of work that's gone behind. So I think in terms of the numbers, I think they're the only unbeaten side in the top five leagues in Europe, which is which is crazy this season. So... Uh, props to them and I hope they get back to winning ways uh, in terms of titles let's see what goes on moving on then to the manager of the year Um, Rick who have you gone for so I had to go for Hansi Flick just because as I said before I think the way he revitalized the team that looked kind of clueless I would say under Niko Kovacs this is why I don't particularly agree with what Sid was saying where I felt like they were kind of out of sorts under Niko Kovac and then um, with Hansi Flick coming in they just uh, their record I, I feel like I saw their record and it was just a bunch of W's right like and I think there was one draw in the middle and I, I feel like just how much he's revitalized that team to then go on to win the Champions League dominate Barcelona like they did play some phenomenal football and then go on and win it I think it, it has to be Hansi Flick for me and also winning the treble of course yeah, I think Hansi Flick is definitely. I think he didn't get the official award, but for many he should have. The yeah. FIFA. I think I think Klopp himself was kind of surprised when he did get it. 
club called him and said i don't deserve this but well it I doesn't mean, it doesn't match the level at which cristiano ronaldo gave up an award for lewandowski <laughs> <laughs> surprise surprise the year man and where did we get this i think it's a christmas at the new year the resolution is taken to be humble very un cristiano ronaldo like I mean, when he's getting when he's getting his pockets lined by um, uh, golf money it doesn't really matter whether he gets awards or not he did get an award at the end so i think he won't be complaining sid who have you gone for So like you were talking about AC Milan I've gone for Hansi Flick and Stefano Pioli like what are you were talking about AC Milan as a club you can only choose one who who do you choose out of I I would one. go for Stefano Pioli but then I think I think yeah it's very harsh on Hansi Flick for me not to go for him but I'll tell you why because when you were talking about AC Milan and the way that they've managed this year I do feel that more credit needs to be given to Stefano Pioli because let's not forget when we were doing a Serie A preview for the season Ralf Ragnick was almost it was a done deal that he was coming to AC Milan and of course we have the ball genius Ivan Gazidis who's running the club there right now <laughs> and uh i mean you could see there was turmoil still and even through all of that let's not um Stefano Pioli is not a media manager in the sense not like a Klopp or a Mourinho who will grab the headlines but he goes around his business quietly in the training field and let's not forget Zlatan Ibrahimovic himself has come and he's played under one of the greatest managers ever in in uh, Pep Guardiola Jose Mourinho to name a few and he said who is this Ralf Ragnick he gave a stamp of approval to Stefano Pioli because he could see what he was trying to implement on the training ground and then converted onto the pitch and finally it has come in the terms in terms of results and i feel that finally Ivan Gazidis he grew a backbone and he backed him and he didn't bring in Ralf Ragnick which might be his greatest footballing achievement ever because you can see the results right now Theo Hernandez has been fantastic some of the young players have been fantastic even without Ibrahimovic they've been doing well and i like we said during the preview i do hope they go and win on the Serie A title this season and a lot of credit needs to be given to Stefano Pioli for the record that they've had this calendar year and Debo what about yourself i think i've gone for Gian Piero Gasparini and uh, okay it's a early 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 2020 but i think I mean he's is someone who's been around the scene for a long time he's been around since uh, Jose Mourinho was at Inter Milan and I think uh, he didn't have the best of times at at Inter himself and uh, and then I think with at with Atlanta I think except for this season they they are languishing 6th or 7th uh, in the Serie A right now but I think in the last two seasons they were in the top 4 and uh, I, the kind of football again I'm I'm a sucker for underdog stories if you can say so but uh, But I think the kind of football that they have played uh, was absolutely fan- fantastic, and and you know the the three four one two formation that he also employs is something that that is very new to everybody who watches football. I think it's a very exciting way of football that Atlanta had played, and a lot of people credit Thomas Tuchel to take PSG to final to the finals. But I don't think if if the French league wouldn't have been suspended and. Uh, and PSG had played the same number of games that Atlanta played before they went on to play the quarterfinals in uh, in the Champions League i don't think PSG would have gone gone on from that round i don't think if uh, because atlanta just looked way too tired uh, in the second second half when thomas took just started throwing on players on strikers onto the pitch and it was something that was bound to happen but i think gaspin needs to get that credit for taking a team that's financially so uh, down the pecking order and to almost so close to uh, to being in the top 2 in the Serie A because Juventus were fucking it up real bad uh, in the in the last few uh, i think they could have 
they could have sealed the league with five games to go and they lost two back to back then they won one they lost one and the one the last one uh, taking the league to the almost the second last day and i think it was a very competitive league that year seria and gasprini needs a lot of credit for what he has done with that team and now with a lot and with players like papu gomez and if papu gomez today comes to the premier league everybody's going to say he's over 30 he's he's someone who's not can who who can't compete in the premier league so with players like him with zapata uh, i think he's done a fantastic job and he needs to get that recognition yeah what's quite telling is that uh, with papu gomez leaving atlanta which is very sad by the way it's it's a crazy story because he's been along the best of atlanta's years uh, in the recent past um it's quite telling that the buster between gasparini and uh, papu gomez has led to the club choosing to side with gasparini although gasparini's come in um um you know i mean papu gomez has been at the club longer than he gasparini he handed in his reg- resignation as well right yeah yeah exactly so i think Gasparini is one of those guys who you have to commend for the fact that he's had a lot of failures uh, at Inter specifically his most high profile failure but he's come back with a revolutionary style that seems to be the future of football you know you have center backs going and bombing forward which is not seen um, you know regularly around the world so that's great to see um I've gone for Ralf Hasenhüttl and I want you guys to talk about him a little bit because after the 9-1 last year to Leicester I, I think he was odds on to get sacked he himself admitted to the media that he was ready to get sacked um the southampton board put a lot of trust in him and look where they are today um isn't that an unbelievable job the turnaround he's done so i feel like the way that works is i think you have to credit arsenal for that where <laughs> arsenal is there any way you can credit arsenal's career um so i think i think stan cronky is the man to have saved ralf hasenhutl but i mean I, i feel like jokes aside he's what he's done with southampton is absolutely amazing like they play um football that suddenly i'm like you know what like southampton are, are a team that's going to be hard to beat southampton play good football i i, I don't know i i don't know what it is and what he changed but the the difference between those i think it was what nine games where they they were kind of got they were playing super badly and then he started playing really well after after the arsenal game um or like from the arsenal game i feel like the the difference between um that was night and day and i, I and i honestly don't know what he changed but i mean it it definitely seems to be working hey, he's back on the um top tier of coaches if in case a big club wants to appoint another coach it seems like he's one of the front runners um arsenal was linked to when arteta was under fire under the cosh but Yeah, what is what a year he's had. Why is he under the fire at the oh, even now? He delivered is, a great is, performance then, against Chelsea. That surely guarantees him in the seat for another 3 months. But then I mean United United fans can attest to that, right? Like a, a a manager needs at least a full season. Let's not forget. He only came in November ending, December starting, and then in between 4 months of course the pandemic came. He had COVID as well. So a lot of different things have taken place that he's had to juggle. and uh, it's not it's 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 just been a year that he's been into the job and you should judge him at the end of the season of course you cannot uh, excuse results if come feb mid he's languishing if arsenal touch would hopefully they're not but if they're languishing around 15 16 then obviously serious questions need to be asked but i think definitely he's deserved time at least until the end of the season to try and implement i said the same thing about ronald ronald koeman you didn't yeah and i'll explain why as well like 
we we spoke about that right ronald kuman <laughs> what is his track record that is a can of worms right there don't don't come back to ronald kuman i think no listen sid ronald kuman's story is left behind that podcast we don't want to speak about it again until he gets a sack which is very soon so we'll reserve it until then um coming on to a more of a um you know casual topic to talk about not something that's related to performance i want you guys to tell me about who your cult hero of the year is now i, I think this is a very broad field because you can choose whoever's been your hero this year or whoever's been one of those guys who you'll remember as one of them who the streets will never forget so rick who's that one guy for you my cult hero i didn't answer this question i want someone else to take it and then i'll, I'll come come back to me <laughs> yeah dodge yeah. get you away rick is no hero sir <laughs> <laughs> go for it the boy you know i want to answer after that No, I think I've gone for Marcus Rashford because I think sport in general has uh, has been like a forum for players to uh, you know to show their activism, to show their awareness over general things. But uh, very few have gone on and made considerable change. And and for somebody uh, as young as Rashford to be influencing government policy, something that uh, something that needs to be really uh, something is very commendable. And uh, a very few i mean in that case everybody you know shows their opinion shows shows their solidarity on the pitch but uh, rashford is one of those uh, those people who have really acted on it uh, you know you you see the likes of uh, sterling and lewis hamilton working on issues of racism and i think uh, Rash- rashford in that sense you know something a cause that is very personal to him and he has gone on and and uh, really made some considerable change in that in that field so which is why i think uh he's someone who's going to be remembered for his off the field uh you know the impact that he has made in england and uh, it's something that inspires and should lead the way for other players to do the same because they have the ability they have uh, the the forum and the audience to uh, you know to bring that change and which is why i think rashford is the cult hero for 2020 sir so you know when i said it to you i said eric maxim chopomoting right because of course uh, <laughs> this is a guy Stoke who went hero. from stoke city relegation to psg and then he went to bayern munich which is still like you know laughable i mean for me as a cult hero because i'm like okay if i ever do become a sports agent i'm just like okay that's the guy that's the sports agent i need to talk to because i don't know what marketing he did i don't know what salesmanship he did to get the guy to go into bayern munich but then again coming back to that i actually was thinking about this i say eric maxim chopomoting but for me personally i think it has to be roman abramovich roman abramovich has single handedly changed chelsea football club he is the most important figure in their football club and you could arguably say he's up there with arsen wenger and sir alex ferguson in terms of the impact that they've had in the premier league and i hate chelsea as a football club like i think they've hit the jackpot the chelsea fans but I cannot help but admire Roman Abramovich for the way that he handles his football club the amount of money that he puts into the football club and he's not a silent ownership a silent owner not an absentee owner like so many of the clubs in the premier league have he comes to games of course he's had his visa issues right now in the uk but he makes sure he's there at almost any stamford bridge game that that's possible for him of course in his busy schedule and i do think that he has to go down as the most important figure in chelsea history uh, as 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 a football club and i think the way that he has backed this club especially during covid crisis and the amount of money that they spent in the market and let's not forget he opened the stamford bridge hotel to all the nhs uh, employees so that at free of course and i do think that he has revitalized 
of course, West London is, of course, one of the most posh areas in London, but he has revitalized the club, the community around the club. And uh, credit to him, I, I, I admire the guy a lot. It's crazy to think that he actually might not ever step again in London. Um, that's quite a story if it does yeah. end up that way. But I do hope that he comes back and we love seeing him in the stands um, celebrating a goal or whatever it is or sacking a manager. <laughs> it's... it's Rick, I mean, the sacking culture was brought by him, it's right? It's unbelievable to me that throughout these visa issues, he has stayed, like, back the club regardless. Where it's just like, he... He may never be able to come back to like watch a game, but he still poured in so much money. Um, I mean, like, extreme passion. It's his passion. He loves. He loves yeah. pumping in money just to see success and probably see a smile on his face. You know, back it's, in Russia. It, I, I think mean, for him, it's such a big passion. To be fair, I mean, if I had the money he had, I mean, I would try to do the same. I, I feel like, um, if I could just pump in as much money to, into my club as possible, I would. But I, I have to back Dimbo. Um, thinking back on it, I, I have never felt so like so inspired by a player's like off field work as i have done with marcus rashford this year and what's unbelievable to me is that he's so young and he has caused so much change already right it's it's uh, the the fact that he kind of forced strong armed the government into passing legislature that benefits millions of uh, children around england Right is is unbelievable to me. I think every accolade he has got this season it has been like well deserved. Uh, sports personality of the year, well deserved. I think it's just I it, I I feel like it, he has to be like in terms of as much as I I agree with Sid Roman is definitely a big big um, part of Chelsea's success. But I feel like if you're thinking about a cult hero, I I feel like Marcus Rashford's a great role model to have. Absolutely, yeah, that's true, and I'm sure this is just the start for Marcus Rashford as well in terms of his active uh, activist. Uh, yeah, so I think Rob's to yeah. Marcus I think, Rashford. I think he can he can finish a lot better than he does, man. Had so many more goals, which is something. But anyway, but yeah, yeah, not not to take away anything from his moment. United fan being picky or Rashford, but not Ole. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But my cult hero is a bit of a weird one. I've gone for someone who doesn't really play the game, but is so influential in the way the game is played. And I've gone for the super agent, George, Men- George Mendes. I can't even get his first name right. <laughs> is it George or Georgie? Or what is it? Georgie, they say. Georgie no? Mendes. Anyways, whatever. <laughs> Georgie, okay. It is Georgie then. So Georgie Mendes is my cult hero of the year. And I'll tell you why. His business in the pandemic where he's moved we talk about 5d chess right in memes and we've seen it a lot of times he really has played 5d chess and i'll tell you why when barcelona wolves and tottenham required a certain player a right back um or on the right wing george mendes decided that he would move the piece around and make it to suit not just him but also the club so what he did was he has good close ties with obviously portugal wolves and more recently barcelona and of course jose Mourinho, who he represents so um, when Barcelona required to raise some funds, he decided that, you know, maybe we could sell on Nelson Semedo, the right back, because we all remember how he got humiliated by Alfonso Davies in that semi-final. Um, and subsequently, Spurs went, um, wanted a right back because Serge Aurier was just not good enough and he's still not good enough. Um, just put in a bit of a good patch of form, but they went for Matt Doherty, who was also represented by one of George Mendes' age, uh, age, um, clients, I think. It was Fosun, who owned Wolves. So, Matt Doherty went to Spurs. 
Wolves need a right back. They got Nelson Semedo. Um, Barcelona got some funds. Subsequently, they went on and signed Francisco Trincao from Benfica, who's another guy who's represented by Mendes. Um, then Man City came calling. They wanted a centre-back. He had Ruben Diaz on his payroll, gave them Ruben Diaz. Wolves wanted a bit of money to kind of fund Semedo's deal. So he got Jota to leave and join Liverpool. Like, this is crazy <laughs> thinking about a pandemic where people are saying there's no money for clubs to spend. And here's Jorge Mendes creating his own demand and supply. It's unbelievable that us as students of economics, like we probably like to say, how insane is this? I, I actually never thought about it like that. He's that's, a genius. That's unbelievable. And also the fact that he goes about his business. We were talking about it. He goes about his business so quietly. You never hear about his name that much except for when mm-hmm. he's going to say, okay, Jorge Mendes has facilitated this deal. But then Mino Raya, of course, he, uh, he's a different kind of agent. But then, like you said, Jorge Mendes, the way he goes about his business and the impact that he has on football. He, he facilitated football. the Bruno deal, right? He represents... Yeah, yeah. yeah, the Bruno deal as well. Course, and also course, the Nicolas yeah. Pepe so, deal. The Nicolas Pepe deal, that- he got Lille to agree to the payment structure of over five years for Arsenal. Because, of course, we can't of course, uh, afford $72 million up front. So, yeah, he's got his hands in a lot of different... Oh, wells, you could say right now. Oh, by the way, I think there's another one that I missed out. I think he removed the um, transfer fee out of the James Rodriguez transfer to Everton. He made sure that Real Madrid gave up on that bargain. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he's made the Premier League a richer league um, by creating his that's own a good show. It's crazy that's to a think. For me, that's why I chose him as my cult hero of the year, although it might not be the most conventional choice. Um, he, he can't. But, he has a partnership with Boston International. He can't own directly, but he has uh, the Gestifuti agency, which uh, he started, of course, as one of the biggest agencies in world football. Um, probably has a stronghold on Portuguese talents, which is why you see, you know, clubs like Olympiacos and Wolves just, you know, directly involving their, you know, business with them. Um, so, yeah, I think I think his business is so well set that he doesn't even have to come out and be like Mino Raiola and start talking in the public eye. He can just do his business in the sidelines and, you know, rake in the money and also make uh, good things happen for each league and each team. So, great to see. Moving on then to the disappointment of the year. What has disappointed you guys the most, Sid? I mean, there's been a lot of disappointments this year. and uh... Not Arsenal. Please don't talk about <laughs> It has Arsenal. to be Arsenal. But yeah, maybe this one I'll pass it on. Um, I think it has to be Gareth Bale. I was quite shocked when he moved to Spurs and when he did move to Spurs I was like okay that's not great they have an extremely potent front line with Bale Son Kane you have Lucas Moura and of course Steven Bergwijn as well coming in and I think he has to go down as a big disappointment Tottenham have been playing well I think they've been playing better than what people have expected of course they went, went on that run of form where people were actually talking about them challenging Liverpool for the title but I think that's a bit premature and I don't think they'll challenge Liverpool for the title. I do think they'll make the top four at this rate. But no one's talking about Gareth Bale. No one's even mentioned the fact that he's not scored a goal in the league yet. And he's not hes not punching about his weight. He's not pulling up any trees. And uh, yeah, I do think he's been the big disappointment this year in terms of a player. So for me, so I, I wrote about Arsenal. But since Shares doesn't want us to talk about Arsenal, I'll go another way. I think Chris Wilder. From uh, where it, it was so weird to see because they did Sheffield did so well last season, 
and then to see what's what's happened this season where they have two points i think in 15 games is it's unbelievable to me that he like they fell so low and i feel like it's it's crazy because he was up for premier league manager of the year last season and it's just extremely disappointing to see that they've fallen down there was even so a phase where they were they were one of the favorites to get into the champions league for the season yeah uh, but I, I don't know what happened. Maybe teams have found I mean, them out. I feel Maybe like that's teams a huge have found out the way that they've been playing with the overlapping centre-backs and the fact does. that they don't have much quality in the middle of the park. Okay, Sander Burge, I think, is going to be a fantastic player in the future. But other than that, I mean, look at that front pairing of Ollie McBurney and uh, McGoldrick. And it's it's not fair on Dream Brewster to carry the weight of Sheffield United in terms of the burden of goals. I think... While that's true, I feel like you to drop from coming. What did they come seventh last season to coming like to having two points in fifteen games and being last in the Premier League? I feel like is it, that's a huge step down, regardless of the quality you have. And and I feel like yeah, I think that's a good shout for the most biggest disappointment years. Yeah, yeah, I have to agree with you. I also had Nicholas Pepe down. I'm just letting you guys know, <laughs> <laughs> but. You can keep going. No, I think I think the biggest disappointment uh, this year has been uh, VAR and oh, referee. That's a great shot. Oh. Oh, that's a great shot. <laughs> because because with all the money that's gone into the technology and everything, it just made more confusion than bringing more clarity into the game. I think uh, decisions that were already contentious are more contentious now, and uh, and referees with the new rules, with the handball rule, it just uh, players don't know what to what to play with. They don't know what the rule is. So, it, I think it's just created a chaos. And especially, I think VR, VR has been implemented better in the Champions League than in uh, in, in England. Because it's absolutely chaotic how VR is being used. Why do you think that is? Is that because of the laws? Or is that because of just the fact that you have non-English referees? So, the thing is, I feel it's because... What VAR is trying to do, and I think to emphasize something, I think the the penalty that uh, Lacazette got in the match against Chelsea, right? He wasn't tripped at all, and uh, I think uh, the, and the referee in in the in the football show said that VAR can only overturn a clear and obvious error, and for some reason the VAR thought that the fact that Kieran Tierney didn't get tripped at all is not a clear and obvious error is something that makes referees themselves you know it's it's you are either siding with the referee or you're siding with the law which is which is being followed yeah i think that's a clear and obvious winner for disappointment of the year for sure i don't think there's anything coming near that <laughs> but i've gone for some a team that has been uh, an absolute shambles this year 2020 and that's shalka who are 29 games in a row without a win um hmm. of course they were managed at the start of the year by David Wagner, the former Huddersfield manager, a good friend of Jurgen Klopp, uh, who could not replicate any of his success at uh, his former clubs. But, I mean, to see Schalke, one of the, you know, so-called bigger teams in Germany, go down a path where they're almost destined for relegation is quite sad. And the fact that they've... I mean, we all remember that lockdown game against Dortmund and it's gone downwards from that point since. And I think for Schalke, big changes need to be made if they're... or a miracle, really, if they're to stay up in the Bundesliga. Moving on then to your player of the year. And uh, I think there aren't that many contenders if you think about it. But who have you gone for, Debo? 
<laughs> I know why I've gone gone with me first, but I've gone for Bruno. <laughs> I've gone for Bruno. <laughs> he's a multiple title winner this year, Bruno Fernandez. <laughs> I think he's a multiple impact maker of the year, <laughs> Bruno Fernandez. But uh, just for sure, for the for the only factor that when he's come into a club that looked devoid of. Uh, let's say energy devoid of a flair and he's brought all that back into the club and a sense of leadership that wasn't there and that still isn't there in in the captain right now and but he's he's come in and he's brought in all of that as single handedly and his contributions up until now you can't question the fact that bruno has not been one of the best players in the premier league along with kdb but player of the year surely you're getting a little bit carried away are you not considering the goats the messies the ronaldos the lewandowskis no i'm i'm not considering the lewandowskis and ronaldos because i think that's what's expected of players of that standard i don't think bruno you you don't uh, you don't uh, take bruno's name in the same sentence as ronaldo and messi uh, yet but i think that that's why i picked bruno because i think he's he's somewhat of an outlier uh, anybody coming into the the premier league you don't see them taking to the league as quickly as bruno has and the impact that he has had so uh, just for that factor and i think bruno's impact has not been matched with anyone else in the league uh, and uh, in and around europe for that matter which is why bruno is my player of the year rick agree to disagree did any did any of you uh, no just give me a second did any of you hear him say yet He's yeah i, I, I was i was I mean, waiting for Dibbo, to be I fair you said, for you said Dibbo. that bruno's not cannot be spoken the same sentence as the others Uh, we're talking about player of the year here, not player in the second division of players of the year. So I mean, no, but he, so, I mean, no, I'm, I'm, I'm saying Bruno is the player of the year because of the impact he's made. You don't, you don't expect, uh, you always expect Ronaldo or Messi to to have like 30 plus goals. No, a but season. but the, I agree, I agree with but you on that part. Players. Like I do like, feel like I can't help but agree. I think Bruno Fernandez has made such a big impact on Manchester United. I think he has dug Ole out of a big, big hole. But if you're talking about player of the year. I mean I don't think you can look past Lewandowski I'll, I'll tell you why and you you were also saying that you expect that from Ronaldo and Messi but I think that's the problem right we don't appreciate it the fact that they do it year in year out and Lewandowski's also been doing it year in year out and I do think that credit needs to be given to Lewandowski I mean 55 goals last season and he's already hit 18 or 20 this season I mean these are numbers that you can expect like you say we expect Messi and Ronaldo to give these numbers but credit still needs to be given to them that they do this and lewandowski doing this during a season where they won the treble i mean yeah for me personally i think it's lewandowski i i feel like I, exactly what sid said right you talk about not giving players due credit and you expecting these from players lewandowski for the last 5 years has not been given due credit and last season you cannot after last season you cannot deny but give him like props for everything he did Right, and it was just he was so instrumental in them winning the treble that it is hard for me to look past him being the player of the year because he just was in terms of how many goals he contributed to that squad that was already looks looked so good. I, I, I don't agree with you in the terms of the there. impact on a club. I think in the Premier League, I don't think anyone has had the impact Bruno has had this year, this calendar year on any team, but. Let's not forget he's also 26. It's not like he's a youngster, and he's come into a league where maybe everything is aligned for him in terms of the club and the way that they are also in a crisis, identity crisis, and he's had the chance to take it by the scruff of the neck. And of course, Ole has Just given like, him 
just like the impact Alexis Sanchez had. Yeah, like certain players just come and everything just sticks for them and then everything goes about like you know of course 30 goal contributions goals and assists in 28 Premier League games that's unbelievable a phenomenal record but this year let's not forget they've not won anything. United are the first team in the Premier League to lose three semi-finals in one year. I mean I just had to get that in there but three semi-finals in one year. Bruno didn't have an impact in any of those three semi-finals. Whereas Lewandowski has consistently done it. He has dragged them to the Bundesliga title this season and they looked like under Niko Kovac especially when he got sacked they might not win it. And of course they went and won the Champions League final at the end. I do think that you can't look past Lewandowski in my opinion for this year especially as player of the year. Yeah, I agree with Rick and Sid there. I think Lewandowski is untouchable and it, it's a shame that the Ballon d'Or was cancelled for this year. Although yeah. they have the FIFA Men's Player of the Year, it doesn't really catch the same breath as the Ballon d'Or. I think had he won the Ballon d'Or, there would have been a true respect put on his name and he would have been kind of an immortal player in many people's eyes. But yeah, I think... Do you think season, that was a political agenda? The fact that they cancelled it? Um, probably, probably. I think it's fair to say that Lewandowski is not the, you know, the universal favourite like Messi or Ronaldo are. And I'm pretty sure... if push came to shove they would probably pick one of them if they had the award this year but i mean his numbers speak for themselves and the fact that he dug bayern out of a hole under niko kovac to you know kind of spearhead an attack that was flanked by two youngsters no kingsley coman coming after injury 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 and serge gnabry nastar great <laughs> on the other wing i mean he was he was the fodder anything that came to him any scraps he was able to finish it It was just wonderful to watch, and he carried them. He carried them to the Bundesliga. He carried them to the Champions League. Hundred um, percent deserves it. Doesn't deserve it for his TikToks, by the way. Don't watch them. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> um, but yeah, sensational season. Another another award that I think needs to be a little bit of a narrow choice here is the League of the Year. Um, I'm sure some of them have been Farmers Leagues. Has been. has been going around but what do you guys think is the league of the year rick so i mentioned that i think the two that i was talking about was the bundesliga and the league um and the reason i talk about that is because of their performances in the champions league i think both um both leagues had significant like two big two teams that kind of went up right up until the end fought hard the reason i i, I would say the bundesliga over The uh, league on is because by uh, Bayern Munich eventually went on to win the Champions and League. Leipzig made the semis But, as well. Let's uh, I remember the tweet. Yeah, Leipzig exactly. That's what I mean. Leipzig made the semis. So and that's why I put league on in there is because there was Lyon and PSG that made made the semis and then the finals. Um, and uh, let's not forget Lyon had put in a fantastic performance in the semi final, and it just it seemed. Um, It seems so fitting that Mbappe would post that tweet, like would tweet saying uh, the Premier League is the Farmers League. I mean, I'm uh, obviously um, paraphrasing, but that's essentially what he said. But uh, I, I feel like those two leagues definitely have to be up there, and the Bundesliga I think takes it for me because Bayern Munich eventually went on to win. Yes, sir. I have to note there. He he mentioned league on, so I think people should listen to the <laughs> Farmers Harvest, Farmers the Harvest first ever sure. episode on Ted to Ted. It's oh, quite hilarious to be honest. Right on the back of the league on season, but who have you gone for, sir? For me, I think there's just one winner, and that has to be the Serie A league. And I think the way that the Serie A league standing has kind of shaped up right now with Milan, of course, leading the pack with Inter Milan right behind them. 
and I think this is a season where Juventus's uh, dominance over the league is going to come to an end. We we spoke about it. We thought that Milan should hopefully we we hope that they would win it, but now it's becoming a reality that they might actually go and win the whole thing. And let's not forget that teams like Napoli, Roma, Atlanta, Atlanta, like uh, Debo was saying, the way that they've been playing football over the last two two and a half years under Gasparini, it's been phenomenal. It's been like the hipster's choice for a team to kind of support, like like say a Borussia Dortmund who people want to watch because as a neutral, you want to watch these teams with young flair players, especially like Papu Gomez, who's kind of having a renaissance at the latter stages of his uh, career. It's fantastic to see. And like we've spoken about Juventus' domination over the last decade in Syria, and it's kind of becoming boring, to be fair. But there's been some investment in the league. Roma, Inter Milan have been pumping in money. Napoli, they've always been in, a, in and around because of the recruitment, especially in terms of the young players that they've gotten and kind of developed. And of course, uh, Lazio, who I felt like have been a little bit of a disappointment this 2021-2021 season. But under their fantastic manager, uh, Inzaghi, I think they're going to do well again. And there are around six, seven teams that you can say that are kind of competing at the top. And of course, the cream will be right now both the Milan teams and uh, Juventus. But it's definitely been an exciting league to watch and especially the renaissance of AC Milan as a club has been fantastic to watch and I do think that Syria is kind of moving forward in the right direction and it's going to be a very interesting league to watch maybe for the next two three years right now. Yeah for us at least from uh, people watching in India or you know probably outside Italy I'd say the Syria's broadcast or the appeal of the Syria has been very very low right in the last decade simply because the quality hasn't been good. And the fact that, you know, I have six or seven teams that are equal pegging and you probably have the Milan clubs getting back to where they were, you know, maybe 15 years ago is just fascinating. You know, these teams, if you just go through, and I think Sid and I can appreciate this because we did the research on the Serie A preview podcast. We went through the history of some of these teams, you know, Napoli, AC Milan, Inter Milan. The rock and rolls of the 80s and 90s surrounding Italy, especially when Maradona was playing and such it. The league just has so much history and so much tradition that it's a shame that it's been in the dumps for the past decade or so. And the fact that it's now getting back to a level where you can actually say, you know, teams from Syria are playing well in Europe and the league is a bit more competitive because right now Juventus don't seem to be winning the league by a canter. It's just so exciting. And for that reason alone, it has to be one of the best leagues that has been the part of 2020. I think the transformation in the league, the transformation in the quality of players that have graced the league is very, very much there for people to see. And Dibbo, you've also gone for the Syria as your pick for your uh, League of the Year. Why, why is that so from your point of view? I think for all the reasons that Sid, Sid mentioned, and I think one more team that he uh, he didn't mention is Sassuolo, who looks who looks, uh, who yes. looks very yeah. very good on... B-Tech Atalanta. Absolutely, yeah. They look like a budget <laughs> Atlanta for that matter. And uh, <laughs> Budget on budget. Wait, wait, you can't call it budget Atlanta because Atlanta are the budget of any it's other team. budget on budget. <laughs> yeah, but again, the resurgence of the two Milan clubs and... Uh, the fact that uh, Inter and AC Milan, both of them look look extremely uh, uh, extremely dominant this season. Just one point divide, uh, you know, between 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 the two. And uh, yes, I think also facilitated by how Juventus have not performed up to their up to their potential. But it makes the league extremely exciting to watch. And and something that I don't agree with uh, Rick is you can't I as just as a league. The fact that you're calling it a best league, and I think league should be uh, judged on their performance as a league as a whole not the the club performances in in Europe because the Bundesliga I mean Bayern Munich did win it by 13 points 
there was no competition uh, at all for for Bayern Munich in the in the domestic league so which which makes Bundesliga not an interesting watch at all uh, which which I, I, no but the I football would, but the football in Bundesliga we also do mention that like we keep talking about how the Premier League is the most like is the most competitive league and Liverpool won that by a country mile so i mean that's true. the idea yeah is, which is why, which is why Premier League is none of our choice right now because yeah, because I mean, there is a clear and but then the competition in the Premier League is also totally different and the way that the teams play in Bundesliga like most of the teams employ a high press tactic where that's actually quite exciting to watch and i and i understand why they go for that charge but for me it's it's seria because of the competition but you also want to watch good football you also want to watch interesting football especially if as a league you're going to be playing teams in and around obviously within the country that you're playing and you kind of judge yourself when you're playing especially in derbies and in teams that are within the same region or like you know the adjacent region or whatever and when you look at that, the bundesliga if you look at the middle like i would say the midfield part of the table it's quite competitive and it's not like teams are sitting back and teams are kind of employing say the jose mourinho tactic of sitting back and hitting on the counter where that is a much easier tactic to kind of coach your team in order to employ during the games uh, whereas the high press the gegen pressing uh, school is much more difficult to implement but then a lot of teams are devoted in order to uh, devoted to that and try and implement that and a lot of talents are flourishing in bundesliga they give so much opportunity to a lot of the youngsters a lot of the youngsters from england who are not getting chances are now migrating to germany where they see the kind of coaching that's going on there it kind of improves their all-round game and the uh, game awareness that they have so i think bundesliga is a good shot i think and 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 also what i like now about the bundesliga is this bayern munich is kind of being challenged by the rb leipzig like um like their like policies and how they have kind of come in to the spotlight being like this club that is kind of super controversial and and i feel like it kind of takes away from bayern munich's eternal dominance and them being able to just buy out the league i i feel it has become a lot more competitive in that sense where you have like teams that are actively going at bayern munich now even though of course there is a skill gap that i mean is obviously there but I feel like it is an exciting league with some teams that play some very exciting football. I I just want to say this about Bayern Munich. Like people say that they kind of buy out the league and everything, but I think they need to get credit for their recruitment because a lot of their recruitment has been done on the cheap. Alfonso Davies, Robert Lewandowski, who went for a free, has to arguably go down as one of the greatest free transfers of all time. And let's not forget their 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 record signing. I think is Lucas Hernandez, if I'm not wrong, at seventy two million, and a lot of their buys have been very astute buys and you have to give credit to them it's not like other teams couldn't afford to do these buys they went out and they made sure that they went and got these players even leon goretzka has come on for a free transfer i'm not wrong from schalke so it's not like juventus because juventus have made their mistakes in the transfer market but yet they've still been dominant because they've been re- relying on key players and of course the teams in and around them have also not been performing well and also in the market Whereas Bayern Munich have just been consistent in terms of their recruitment, in terms of the philosophy that they have. They have a clear structure behind the scenes in terms of who, what the hierarchy is, and what is the kind of culture and the style of football that's going to be employed throughout the various uh, youth levels. And as much as I don't like to see the dominance of Bayern Munich, I want to see a Leipzig or say Dort. I want to see Dortmund win the title soon enough. But credit needs to be given to them because they've been extremely consistent in order to stay at the top.
so we spoke about the heart um heart wrenching moment against uh, atletico madrid that liverpool faced and honestly that was probably the low point that liverpool have faced in this whole year and um i was just bemused that a defensive midfielder called marcos llorente turned into prime r9 that day and has since you know actually it's crazy to think that since that day Marcus Llorente has turned into a fantastic scoring machine for Atletico Madrid leading their title charge this season. But I want to ask you guys about an event that brought you tears of joy or sadness this year because there've been a lot of emotions obviously you know we had football back after an unprecedented hiatus and we also had many moments that remind us that football is the best game on the planet. So starting with Dibbo what is the moment that brought you tears of joy or sadness whichever emotion you felt i think that that exact thing that you mentioned the fact that there was an uncertainty about when football would restart and if it would restart would all the leagues be cancelled what would happen and i think that's the uncertainty that everybody was suffering from and the fact that when it did restart the project restart from the premier league and the other league restarted we had we had a sort of a a football bonanza if you if you can call it because we had the champions league every day for all the all the since the round of 16s quarters semifinals were back to back and it it was as if it was the best time for to be a football fan because every day you would watch quality football matches and i think that was one event what or let's say of a, a few a few days which made it seem like the best time to be a football fan for me um i i mean uh, i feel like that's um I I agree with everything um, they both said but I feel like in terms of the best like the a moment that made me cry or like cry out of sadness or joy was I felt like I was the happiest I've been um as a football fan the day we won the FA Cup against Chelsea losing to Chelsea in the Europa League was a was a like and in that fashion just losing to them in the europa league final was something that caused me immense pain <laughs> and caused me to be the end of a lot of banter which kind of hurt my feelings and so like there was animosity there to begin with and i feel like winning that game um was not only winning the fa cup but was beating chelsea finally in a final i mean we'd done it in the fa cup before but it I felt mean, more significant it, this win right after the terrible year, It, yeah and it was also it was a juxtaposition of how poor we were in the league that almost that entire year and then to go on and finish off one of the worst leagues uh, like league season like the one of the worst seasons we've had in our recent history only to be topped off by this year but that's a different question to to kind of finish that off with winning the FA Cup and then going on to winning the community shield that felt like was My, like my high football high it's related to them but not in the same way because yeah of course that fa cup i think it had a lot of significance around it when we did win because of course we all know what's been happening with arsenal over the last two years especially after wenger left but as a as a football fan especially as an arsenal fan i remember the europa league game rapid vienna we were the first team to welcome back fans into the stadium and i was like okay what is it going to be like because we i've never been to a game in uk especially at an arsenal at the arsenal stadium and i've never gone to the stadiums to watch the games but do you want to though with their current home record <laughs> i mean i do have my cronky uh, out banner with me so yeah for sure but <laughs> when like you've not been there you've not watched it but then for, as long as i've been watching football you've always seen fans in the stadiums you've always heard them through the camera to through the tv and you've seen the passion that the fans have in the face when they see the fans while they're celebrating and everything 
and just kind of felt hollow when the games were going on without no state no fans back in the stadium during the warm up there's a time where all the players went to the 2000 fans there and they were clapping with them and the fans got up and they were clapping and they were shouting their names and everything and i don't know it just kind of resonated with me a lot because i think that's when you realize how much how big of a miss fans are because let's let i think it's uh, we we can agree on this part all of us fans are the bread and butter of football they are the most important part of football and for them to finally be back and some of these fans have been watching arsenal home games for almost 40 50 years and not missed a single game so for them also it must have been a big void that seven months that they've not gone and watched their beloved football club play like you know personally go to the stadium and watch them and support them and i think i don't know why it resonated with me a lot and when it comes to you know of course tears of sadness it has to be the 55 redundancies made by arsenal as a football club because we've always prided ourselves in being a club that runs differently from other clubs we have the class the heritage and we've always run as a good part of the community that the club is situated in and i just think that stan kroenke especially after he's taken over and they've gone into uh being private they've kind of taken that like a little bit of the soul out out of the club and it's been really sad to see and i think it came like you know full on especially when the 55 redundancies were made so publicly and yeah i do think that that was really a low point and it just got to show that even football also got affected yeah i think for me um, i think it's a very predictable one um what brought me tears you know after such a long 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 wait and you know it, it it's kind of funny when you think back you know past decade and what not and 2010s 2011s the banter era of liverpool truly under roy hodson and yeah it's crazy to think that when you come from a, being a mid table club at the start of the decade to being premier league winners it's it's crazy and i think the moment where um you know jurgen klopp came on television after that man city chelsea game and they broadcasted scenes from that you know they had I think the players have got together at some kind of a resort to celebrate and watch the game together, and then of course celebrate after. And the way these guys were talking about it, they they were literally shaking when they were speaking about what this success meant to them. And I think that's that's where it got it got a bit teary. And then Liverpool posted a video with, I think anytime you'll never walk alone plays, I feel like I have some butterflies in the stomach. But I think that specific video where they said, you know, Liverpool Premier League champions, was kind of crazy and. Um, I think maybe five years ago, if Liverpool had won, you know, that thirteen, fourteen season, I'd have probably gone on and tell everyone that I knew, especially United fans, because you know they're always there everywhere. <laughs> um, just go and hurl abuse at them. But then I felt like this was such a what do you call it, you, you, a gratifying moment that just felt so good. And uh, yeah, probably the best moment. You didn't have to tell game. anything to any fan. They just knew that Liverpool deserved it. Like I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And as as a fan, I think that's why that's why. when when we spoke on the arsenal decline episode um that's why i said like <laughs> for, for arsenal fans or any fans of any club is going to decline hope, there's always He's an upside at some point i'm pretty sure when the upside <laughs> comes you know as a fan you will feel that emotion of you know oh we went through the worst of the worst and now we're at the best of the best so that's one of the best things about football really that it gives you perspective on things pr um a lot of clubs employ big pr agencies or have people that put out these statements that mean something just to protect their images uh sid and i have spoken about the same thing over and over and over again uh but we leave ours till last uh we'll start off with you rick what has been your pr masterclass of the year um so i have a few i have 
a PR master. Okay, and my PR master is Mesut Ozil. I think his PR game is phenomenal. The the work he does on Twitter and like Instagram and stuff is insane, right? And and he gets like people to rally behind him so hard because of everything he does on Twitter and on Instagram and on on social media essentially. That it's very hard to think of anyone else who has that kind of social media pull. I think he has more followers on Twitter, by the way, than Arsenal do. Um, most teams, and that's extremely he telling. Has, I think he has followers more than most teams in the Premier League. But um, the idea was that he has the whole of Turkey following yeah, as well. And, you and can't discuss. I think that. the biggest masterclass I have two. One was when he said he would pay for Gunasaurus's salary to to make sure he would stay at the club. I think that's a like that was a big PR moment, and I think the other one was when he said, uh, not when he said, when the he was hosting these match day predictions of how Arsenal would do against other teams. And I feel like that was a PR masterclass. I mean, would any other footballer get away with that? Would any other footballer get away with making predictions like these about the club that <laughs> he's playing at, the club that employs him? I mean, it's ridiculous. I suppose uh, his links to. The Turkish president, Mr. Erdogan, certainly he's learned a few tricks from um, the best man of PR himself. Uh, I think fair to say. Debo, what about you? What have you seen as a PR masterclass this season? I don't think after the discussion, I think I can match up to something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, you know, guys, uh, don't you think the Leo Messi um, interview with Goal.com that was that came around September? Having gone through the three months since that interview um, and his l- latest interview with La Sexta, which came out, I think, day before yesterday, where he talks about how he wants to stay at Barcelona, the whole process seems to me like he just wanted Bartomeu to get out of the door. He's waiting for the new president to come in and just wants a way in which the president is going to go, the new president, of course, who's going to be elected, I think, the next month or so, is going to go up to Leo Messi and say, you know, I'll do whatever you need for you to stay here. And Leo Messi said in that interview, that he wants to stay at Barcelona and eventually he wants to play in the MLS or whatever, but it looks like he's set on staying. Isn't that the biggest PR masterclass? You know, sending a bureau fax, um, saying that he could have won the case in court. I mean, if he really wanted to, he should have gone. Um, uh, I mean, it doesn't make sense if he was desperate to leave. He should have done it, but he didn't because he knew that, you know, he would get Bartomeu out of the door. So what do you what do you guys think of that whole PR situation? I mean, it's interesting as well that certain Barcelona fans are also kind of getting upset with the way that he's been handling himself on the pitch, the clear lack of effort in certain games, and the way he's gone about conducting his business. Of course, I think as a player, you want to maximize your full potential. And I think it's a disgrace that he's not won a Champions League since the 2014-15 season, if I'm not wrong. A player of his caliber, who might arguably go down as the greatest player of all, all time. But, I mean... I do agree. That's a PR masterclass from his perspective. But I think it's damaged the club as well a lot. I think the club was do damaged. Do you think it's anyway. damaged? Do you think it's damaged the club more than the club was already damaged? No, no, exactly. No, no, no. That was just just no, what no. I was going to say. I think the. I no. no I th- I think that's. I think that's what has happened because Messi has kind of, for his own sake, he is he has damaged Barcelona's image more than it, more than it could have been because right now he's what what he has done is. Okay, now now I might be wrong, but there are more Messi fans than there are more uh, Barcelona fans at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So uh, I think Messi has rallied his fans to be against Bartomeu ever since he started that protest, and people were already against him. And I think this 
no but because because he's just kind of victimized himself to get him out of the, out out of the club and then not idea, stood by his word no, the idea is that bottomu should have been out regardless Bob I mean that he was the president and it was it, it had to be that push right so Leo Messi had to make that push and we all know yeah, and, that and Messi is not the most outspoken kind of guy in the world he's one of those shrewd guys doesn't talk too much in the public eye so for him to come out and give out that interview that was you know they said world exclusive on goal.com whatever it is i'm sure he's paid a hefty sum for it but for him to come out and give an interview um <laughs> of that length um with his you know past um with his character really it says a lot about what he thought of um a power move really to get bartome out because at that point it seemed like after the 8-2 especially and after the bureau facts there could be nothing done to save his future at barcelona i mean if he'd left it would have been a bit of a dampener on his legacy at barcelona they wouldn't have looked at it in the same way but now that he's victimized himself you're almost sympathizing with him you're saying yeah now he's not playing well because the club isn't allowing him to play well yeah but then would you not sympathize with him regardless the fact that he's had to put up with the absolutely ridiculous decisions that bartomeu and the board have made over the last over the 100%. last couple as of years a, as, 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 a, as a player has, i couldn't agree know, more with has you has that much love for the club that has kind of brought him up um helped him be the player that he is today right to see your club enter into a phase of existence where it's just like an ac milan t- kind of drop off where you're where essentially you can't see a way back for a club that has made so many bad decisions and have been playing so badly they've they've bought overpriced players that are just not good enough and then haven't improved their core parts of their team like their defense and their midfield um getting rid of for 20 um, but that does not of, but that does not justify a player holding the club at ransom that was not holding the club at ransom the idea was that The- it kind of was but i think that just boils down to his personal choice right it boils down to two choices here you can take the l that you're going to have with bartomeo as a president and you're going to go through that period of transition where the new president's going to come on and the project is going to start and maybe take two years time where he might be what 36 in 2022 or 2023 where you know he's obviously going to be at the end of his career Or you can actually, as a player, where you want to maximize your potential, Correct. I think, and I, his God-given potential. I think this idea that the that Messi was holding the club at ransom is something that I'm super against because it's it, everyone talks about Messi and everyone's like, okay, Messi is an employee, right? Like Messi shouldn't be doing this, Messi shouldn't be doing that. But Bartomeu literally ran that club into the ground. There has to be some accountability, and and if there isn't someone, if you have Messi in your team, who is arguably the greatest of all time, you have. a player that has enough experience with multiple boards to know that this is just not working he's he's he knows what good management is he he's lived through it he's lived through the golden era he's played through teams that are phenomenal and he knows that this just isn't it and to say that this player should not speak out because it is him holding the club at ransom i think is unfair because bartomeu is not the club bartomeu is a president who has definitely done more harm than he has done good And so I feel like he was completely entitled to do what he did. And we're talking the duos that have lit up the year. Um, we've seen a lot of duos. Um, we've seen the Rashfords and Bruno Fernandez, seen Lautaro Lukaku, seen recently Kane and Son. Debo, who's who's caught your attention the most out of these? Not strike duos. It could be any duos. What's been the best duo for you? I think very out of uh, out of my uh, 
Allegiance United have gone for Salah and Mane because uh, because it's a not good friends. friends. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, they're not. But again, I but I think the the consistency on both the flanks by both the both the players has what really has impressed me for so long. And I mean, very different players in in the sense. I mean, uh, Mane is Mane is a much more uh, you know direct, very. Uh, a very very a very direct player with a skill set then uh, uh, then sala who's who's more of a goal scorer for me and but again i think they have they've worked out really well with with how firmino plays in the middle which is why i think uh, and playing for, and people would 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 have called them let's say uh, called him a fluke for the first first good season they had but i think they've consistently kept it up uh, and even up till now which is why i think they're one of the best duos of of this year and the and the year that that was before this so sala and mane for me i have a, a weird one which is a chris woods ashley barnes out there no no, uh, no not that. that's like like martinelli soccer like no uh, i have i have bcl and james like hamas rodriguez mm. um but hasn't that been something that that only performed so for like two or three yeah, games true. it's been but i feel a like a... so i i okay so i'll tell you why i've said uh DCL and Hamas Rodriguez. Uh I do think uh Son and Kane have been immense this year, but I just cannot bring myself to say that. So um so Calvert-Lewin and Hamas, I feel like whenever I've seen them play together, I think they move so smoothly. Dominic Calvert-Lewin has had a phenomenal season this season. And as soon as Hamas is back, I think they're a real threat for any team. I think they're so hard to deal with just because of the attributes they have um just as kane and son are um because of the attributes they possess the fact that kane can drop in deep and then kind of make those passes um to son that will run into uh the like a ball that's coming in like a through ball um i i feel like dominic calvert lewin and hamez just have had phenomenal games this season and that's why i went with them for me i can't believe i'm saying this but it has to be kane and son I mean Kane and Son are Tottenham right now. The way that they've been playing with each other not just this last calendar year but then since he joined I think in 2015 Huming Son and Kane was just coming into his prime. I think they've been phenomenal with each other. They understand the, uh, each other's games perfectly. They know when to time their runs. Kane drops in like Rick says and he puts the ball through to Son which is a very like how we've just summed it up but then they bring a lot of things a lot of other things as well and Let's not forget that they have the most number of goal contributions with each other. I think they're the second highest in the Premier League history right now, and I think they need to go down as maybe the, in the top three duos the Premier League has ever seen because it's just been absolutely phenomenal for Tottenham over the last uh, five six years. And I, I don't. I, I, <laughs> I don't agree with that at all. I I have a problem. Huh? I have, Yeah also I have a problem with people being the best one of the best duos of all time not that's what that's what I would have gone for I, the best I, I, duo I, ever if they had won and I can't believe I brought myself to say this but if you look at the way that they play they are Tottenham right now they are keeping Jose Mourinho on a job I still don't and when they said that Tottenham were title chances I didn't believe because Jose will not get them the title but Kane and Son are keeping them relevant right now and I think Kane especially I have been a big critic of him. We both know during college, like yeah, I just didn't get myself to come and say that he's been a he's a great player, but he's a phenomenal player. And Son, I think, is phenomenal as well. And I think both of them together, 
they are arguably the top five players in the league. But but I think Jose is kind of you know it's, it's maximizing. He's, he's, he's no no he's not maximizing Kane at all. Uh, for me, because yes, he has got extremely good passing attributes. But if if your top striker so so away from the goal, you're not maximizing output at all. And in the most recent game, they're so deep inside their own half, and uh, with the fact that just one goal is not enough, and they're so deep inside his own half that I don't even think you, even if Kane gets the ball to play a Son through or a Lucas Moura through, they're just not going to make the most of it because now you're inside. Now they're the only people inside the opposition half against the whole defense line, and I don't think that's just it. Just the probability of that to be very successful is extremely low. I think they'll get one goal, two goals each game, but as a team, they're going to suffer. I agree. I, he's not maximizing I, them, but I think as a duo. No, but I also think uh, while I agree that he's not maximizing them, I also think Kane plays the best when he's pulling defenders out while he runs in deep. I think that's where he is really good at. Like what he's really good at is because he's such a threat even in the air. He pulls defenders out when people give the ball to him in the center, and so he creates a lot of space for people to run into, which is where then he passes because then you kind of have your right backs or your left backs having to cut, like come in uh, inside to kind of block off the gaps, and then you can have runners running in. So I feel like that is what he is good at, and I feel like that is his attribute. His attribute is not just scoring. He also has pull-out defenders and can make good passes on. And I feel like if you're playing to those strengths, then but he can he can do that. There's no harm in playing to those strengths. He can do he can do the same thing twenty yards up the pitch than he's doing it right now. I mean, look at you mentioned Dominic Calvert Lewin. He's one of the best hold up holding up strikers in the Premier League now, and along with him, Oli Watkins too. They do the same job. They do the same job, but they do it much uh, into the final third of the pitch, which makes it much more easier for. For for his striking partners, the yeah, that, to make that, runs that, in the more threatening areas. That's also because Dominic Calvert Lewin has a James Rodriguez in there that will kind of run with the ball, which Spurs don't in and I mean, I think he's a fantastic player, but you just you, someone has to do it, right? Someone has to come in deep if you don't have ball carriers, natural ball carriers. Harry Winks just isn't good enough for me. Yeah, I've gone for a bit of a duo that was. A little bit of an early shout that was uh, spoken about in the Bundesliga podcast, uh, tipped by Sid, uh, Marcus Thuram, and my pick was Alessand Player. And Alessand Player, Marcus Thuram, two Frenchmen for Borussia Mönchengladbach have lit up the Champions League, it's fair to say. And it's not just a fluke because they were lighting it up for Mönchengladbach last season. Let's not forget Mönchengladbach didn't play in the Champions League, I think, for a couple of years. So they brought them back um, in the lockdown period, back to the top four. And, I mean, this season they've just gone on to kick on and... I wouldn't be surprised if teams come around, you know, 30, 40 million price tags on them. I mean, Marcus Thuram's latest antics have put him back in that kind of pecking order to get the next transfer. But I think for sure, one of the most underrated duos, I'd say, as wide forwards or two Frenchmen playing that team. Um, if you ever watch Mönchengladbach, which I'm sure you will, I think they're playing Man City in the round of 16 in the Champions League. Just watch those two because they... They're pretty telepathic in the relationship and it's quite quite nice to watch. Um, on that note, um, that's a roundup of what we think of certain events that happened through the year. But if there's one thing that you want to, like I mentioned before, when we started off, what do you think about this time uh, last year? What is it when you come back on this state next year, you'd like to say about not, not your favorite club or not your favorite league or whatever it is, just football in general? Rick, what, what, what would it be? I want like my ideal situation for next year 
is just everyone to be able to attend games in full packed stadiums i want to watch games where i don't have to listen to simulated crowd noise <laughs> or simulated chants i don't want to listen to any of that i want to see people like going crazy like drinking like you know like just as rowdy as they get as as um just the way it was pre covid as but yeah I, i want football like i feel like it was so underappreciated we've never gone through something like this and i've never thought like i i i'd never had to think about something like this I, it was such a given that fans would always be at the stadium you would always have professional athletes that will perform right and and i think what i want is just that i want packed stadiums everyone chanting i don't want to hear any simulations not none of that i i i want like i was going to say what rick said about the fans being back in stadiums but since he's used that i would say that i want the refereeing standard not just in the premier league but in europe as well i want the i want var to change as well i want the technology to be implemented better and i wanted to be a bit more lightning quick in the sense the like how goal line technology is used of course it may take some time but i just think that the overall level of football is just going to be increasing when the technology is rightly implemented and yeah i can't wait for var to not be a topic after every weekend i i think i have to echo what rick and uh, said said but along with that i really need to i really hope that by this time next year this pop pop buff fiasco comes to an end and he finds a new home for his antics <laughs> that will never end it's a never ending story it's one of those stories that go on for ages and ages until there is no resolution and eventually pogba is out of the club like mesinos take over ed woodward's position for sure at this rate man he need someone needs to ad- adopt that but he he still behaves like a teenager he needs to <laughs> get going somewhere wherever he feels he he's more wanted I don't know what this insecurity feels but man I just hope this situation improves for Pogba and definitely the fact that we have a international tournament in uh, in the Euro 21 which uh, in next year but I think that happens in with full fanfare and how an international tournament is as a festival is uh, is conducted I hope that that happens because football without the fans is, is pretty much it's pretty much a training ground affair and which we don't want to see we want to see fans back and football in its full tilt and i hope that happens as soon as you. absolutely and it's been a year like none other um for football fans i'm sure those three or four months where there was no football we were all in our rooms thinking about what's going to happen because for, we've taken it for granted like rick said about fans being in the stadium or even players playing on the pitch but it's been quite a hard year for us to watch you know with simulated noise with players not performing at the level we expect and also Of course clubs go through ups and downs so that's that's the no- normal ride that football entails us with so thanks for listening on this one um hope you have a great um year ender hope you look back on 2020 with a bit of positivity but also look um ahead to 2021 with a lot more positivity because it can only get better from here so thank you and goodbye from us have a great year ahead right?